Welcome. Welcome to Every Day. This week we are back in John's Gospel. So why don't you turn to John chapter 11 verses 45 to 57. Get, get your Bible open. In a moment, we're going to work through those verses in small groups and unpack from there some encouragement, some empowering, some envisioning from the Word of God. Hopefully we'll be challenged but also encouraged. We've had a break from John for a little while, so let's remind ourselves where we are at. We are in the kind of last half, second half of John, and we're going to follow these chapters up to December when we start our Advent series. John's gospel is interesting. It's interesting in how it's structured because it kind of slows down as you work through it. Let me explain. The first 30 years of Jesus' life is pretty much covered in one chapter. Then you've got three years of Jesus' life, which is covered in like 12 chapters. And then you have a week of Jesus' life, which is covered in eight chapters. It slowly gets slower and slower and slower. Usually in a film or something like that, it accelerates to the end, doesn't it? It starts slow and builds. John's gospel builds, but the way he builds his gospel is to slow us down. It's almost as if he is zooming in to the key event, which is, of course, what he is doing. He's zooming in to the cross. Now, we looked at the cross narratives and the triumphal entry back at Easter this year, but we're still going to slow down over these coming weeks as we approach those moments. So let's look at these verses. Verse 45 of chapter 11 says this, Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. That word therefore is very important because it reminds us something's just happened. What has just happened? Well, it was the raising of Lazarus, quite a major event. And Jews had come from Jerusalem, about an hour's walk away, to grieve with Mary and Martha because their brother Lazarus had died. Jesus had traveled to be with them because he'd been told, your friend Lazarus is unwell. And in fact, on the way, he discovers that he has died. People have gathered to mourn. But what they get is a miracle. They get another sign. Remember, John's gospel is built around seven signs and seven statements. And each of the signs are meant to point to Jesus. That's what a sign does. A sign points to something. The, the primary importance is not the sign, but what it points to. And the raising of Lazarus was the seventh sign that pointed people to who Jesus was and is. Remember, John is pre writing this gospel to make us ask the question, who is Jesus? John records these signs that we might believe, we're told. 
So that therefore points to this amazing sign. And it says this, some of them went to the Pharisees. You see, this sign had caused many people to believe. Many people have gone, wow, maybe they'd seen all seven signs. Maybe they'd just seen this one. But this raising of this man who'd been dead and in the grave for four days made a whole load of people go, this is the Messiah. But not all, not everybody believed. Some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The implication here is that those people did not believe. This wasn't a positive report to the Pharisees. They weren't going, quick, let's go and tell the Pharisees what amazing news this is. No, it carries that kind of, ah, we better go and tell the Pharisees this man is causing trouble again. What does this tell us? It tells us that the signs are not enough. Those of you who were with us last week, we talked about the kingdom of God and we talked about an aspect of the kingdom of God being signs and wonders, being the power of God pouring out. And we as followers of Jesus, as believers, as apprentices, are meant to bring the power of God into situations. And sometimes when that happens, people go, wow, what can I do to be saved? Or who is this man? Or tell me more. But not always. You see, people are not saved by a miracle. People are not convinced often by a miracle. These people were not convinced by a miracle, which is why the seven signs weren't enough. You see, the seven signs that Jesus did, the seven miracles, pointed to the greatest miracle, the cross. We do want to pray for a pouring out of power. We want to pray as a body for more miracles, for more healing. But we need to remember we also need to preach the cross. The signs on their own are not enough. We have to lead people to the cross. We need to remember that Jesus went to the cross. A further sacrifice is needed for these people. A fuller sacrifice. And this is where Jesus is going next. Let's read on. Verse 47. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they ask? Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The Sanhedrin was a gathering of religious leaders, Pharisees, priests, the high priest, scribes, about 71 in all. In fact, 71. (laughs) They gathered every day other than the Sabbath or the feast days. They gathered to make decisions, to, to bring justice, to have theological debate and make decisions about the law. They were made up, as I've said, of priests, so those connected with the sacrificial practice of the temple. Pharisees, who interpreted the whole of the law and the whole of the Old Testament for daily life. Sadducees, who just focused on the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and were closely tied to the temple. This group 
who were always in opposition to Jesus, it seems. Occasionally one of the group would, would, would kind of seek Jesus out and, and maybe kind of flirt with faith. But most times when we come across them, they are against Jesus. Why is that? Why were this group of religious leaders so anti this man? Well, last week we reminded ourselves that the most important question is the why question. We know the what, they were against Jesus. But why were they against Jesus? They saw the same signs. They had a greater and fuller understanding of Scripture. Surely these men, and they were all men, Surely these men should have been more excited than anybody else. Surely these men should have understood better than anybody else that the Messiah was to come. And this was the stuff the Messiah would do. So why weren't they at the front of the queue when it came to belief? Why weren't they inviting Jesus to the temple and giving him profile and giving him position and saying, listen to this man? Why? Well, I think John gives us a glimpse of an answer to the why question in the next verse. Let's read it. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. The Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Why did they miss Jesus? They were afraid. This phrase speaks of fear. If we let this man carry on, if we support this man, if we encourage people to listen to this man, what will happen? The ruling authorities... Remember, they're a nation under oppression. They're oppressed by the Roman Empire with a little bit of self-rule, but they're under oppression. This nation that oppresses us, the most powerful nation there's ever been at this point in history, will take away our temple and our nation. They're afraid. There's fear here. There's fear that their ministry has been in waste. Notice they said, what are we accomplishing? There's fear that their doctrine is not maybe as sound as they think. The Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife and Jesus just raised somebody from the dead. The priests focused on holiness and sacrifice and here's a man who is touching the leper and the unclean and making them clean. That's the wrong way round. The unclean should make the clean unclean, but here the clean seems to make the unclean clean. Did you get that? The Pharisees had their traditions built around the law and Jesus keeps breaking them. The Sabbath, time after time after time. There's a fear that maybe their doctrine is not as firm as they thought, but Mostly there's this fear they'll lose their temple and their nation. That means they'll lose their position. That means they'll lose their provision. It means they'll miss, lose their profile 
it means they'll lose their power. See, this group had done a deal with the Romans. They were allowed their festivals. They were allowed to take their taxes. They were allowed to have their homes. And they were allowed to have their temple. They were allowed to have the best seats at the festival feasts, as long as they kept the people in order. The Romans were happy to give them these things. The Romans were happy to give them position and power as long as they kept things in order. And here is a man threatening that order, threatening that alliance, threatening their security. And their fear was not ungrounded. A handful of years later, the Romans would destroy Jerusalem. They would destroy the temple. The priesthood and the Pharisees and the Sadducees would lose everything. Their fear was real fear and grounded fear. Their problem was this. They had connected their identity with these external things. Their ultimate fear was they would lose their identity who they were, because their identity was connected with this stuff out here. Their provision, their position, their power, their titles, their ministries. So they couldn't accept Jesus because their fear of losing their identity got in the way. And that's where I'm caught up short, friends. You see, it's easy to judge them, isn't it? It's easy to look back and go, what were you doing? Look, there's Jesus. You're so silly or foolish or even bad. So easy to judge other people when they miss Jesus. It's so easy to see why they're missing Jesus. Oh yeah, your identity is in the wrong things. That's why you're missing him. You shouldn't be afraid. Your identity should be in in who you are in Christ. And then that's where I get stopped. (laughs) Because I realize I so often do that. By the grace of God, I've not missed Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. At 14, I gave my life to him. I'm still giving my life to him now, 40 years later. But I still miss Jesus. And the reason I still miss Jesus in a, on a daily basis is because so often my identity is in the wrong things. I cannot stand for truth sometimes because I fear my position, what people will think of me. We live in challenging times right now. Prices going up, wages going down, how will we heat our homes? There's a challenge. It would be easy to step back from some of the challenges of Jesus because we want to protect these external things. Now hear me, it's good to steward and be sensible and be wise. But I need to recognize I can put my identity in the wrong things. I can put my identity in my family or my ministry or my children's education or my home or my belongings or my savings or my pension. I can put my identity in these things and then when I go through a challenging time like this, I get shaken to my core, I get fearful and rather than stepping towards God, I can step away from God. Just like these people. I know I can do that. What about you? What about us? 
this passage challenges us, friends. It challenges us to see in the response of the Sanhedrin where our response is like that. It is like a mirror. It's what scripture is often, a mirror in which we see ourselves as we truly are. This passage, in the way that I see them, it makes me see me. It makes me ask the question, who am I relying on? Where do I run to? Where do I put my trust? And I remember the context. Jesus is on his way to the cross so I can put my trust in him. Moving on, it says this, verse 50, there one, Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for one man to die for the people than the whole nation to perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So that from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Caiaphas will appear a few times in the coming chapters. He was the high priest, the highest priest, the one who could step into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. When he speaks, people listen. When John makes reference to the fact that he was high priest that year, he's not saying this was an annual appointment, but that that year mattered. John is reminding us again, this is the year of all years. And Caiaphas happened to be high priest at that moment. Caiaphas speaks pragmatically and politically, but by the grace of God, he speaks prophetically. He speaks that which he knows, but reveals that which God knows. He speaks, let's get this man out of the way to restore the status quo, to keep what we have. God speaks through Caiaphas to say, this man will die to restore what you've lost. The death of Christ will not lose you things, it will gain you everything. It is the death of this man that will restore us all to our original inheritance. Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin are trying to protect what they think is their inheritance. But God is saying, no, your inheritance is not one land. Your inheritance is the world. Your inheritance is not a kind of sorted out relationship for a while with a, an earthly power. No, your inheritance is an eternal relationship with the power, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Caiaphas speaks a much bigger picture than he understands. And I'm so encouraged by this because if God can speak through a man who is trying to speak negatively, politically, pragmatically, if God can deliver such a word through him, what might God say through us? Those of us who are eager for God to speak, who are seeking and building relationship with God, who have been saved and found and restored. How much more might God want to say through us? What an encouragement, friends. Oh, but you might say, I'm imperfect. God can't speak through me. Caiaphas was imperfect. Caiaphas didn't even like Jesus. And God spoke through him. You love Jesus. 
course God can speak through you. Let's listen. Let's be open. Finally, we get to these last few verses. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, what do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so they might arrest him. As we said at the start, John's gospel slows us down to fix our eyes on this last week. Jesus is not spending time in the country because he's afraid or because he's hiding. He has faced opposition many times and walked away from it, walked through the opposition. No, Jesus is in control. Jesus is literally biding his time because he knows that this is the time. In a few chapters' time, we'll read, Jesus knew the hour had come, the time had come. You see, it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, but not quite. Jesus was the Passover lamb. John declares that prophetically in the first chapter. Caiaphas has just prophesied it again in this chapter. One man, one lamb who will take away the sin of the world. One man who will die not just for a nation, but for the nations. Jesus is in his own time of preparation. Do you notice it said some went up to Jerusalem to prepare themselves? Jesus stays away from Jerusalem to prepare himself. Because he's about to step forward. He's about to go to that final week. He's about to have his triumphal entry. He's about to have his last supper. He's about to be tried and convicted and executed. He's about to be raised. Jesus is not afraid, so hides. No, he's in control, so he prepares for the cross. These verses are challenging. They challenge our identity. Where do we put our trust? They remind us of the centrality of the cross. The, the signs are not enough. We need the sign. They encourage us that if God can speak through Caiaphas, God can speak through us. And they remind us that Jesus came to die, that we might be restored. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Would it find purchase in our heart? 
would be, be challenged and encouraged? And would you cause it to bring much kingdom fruit in our lives, not just this day, but as we walk through our lives in the coming days? Thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Amen.